You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. You're listening to We Are Libertarians. My name is Chris Spangle. I'm here in a hotel room in Dallas, Texas, uh, and I am talking to another comedian friend of mine, if I may be so bold as to call you a friend. Definitely, man. Al, Good to see you. Nice to see you, Al Jackson. He is a comedian. You tour around the country doing comedy. You're on Daily Blast Live, a nationally syndicated morning television show. Yeah. Uh, you live in Denver? I do. Yeah. Loving so, it there. Yeah. So I, I want to, let's start with getting people to know you a little bit. Like, where did you grow up? What was your kind of background? How'd you get into comedy? Oh, the interesting question. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, born and raised, and uh, ended up going to uh, graduate school down in Miami, Florida, where I actually ended up teaching uh, middle school after grad school. Uh, I got my undergrad in biology, got my master's in biomedical sciences, went down to uh, to grad school in Miami at Barry University in Miami Shores, did mm-hmm. a two-year program down there. Uh, and then after that, I was, dude, I was so burnt out, man. Being I had, a teacher? No, I hadn't started teaching yet. I, at that point, I had just um, I had done four years of undergrad uh, studying biology. Then I had done a two-year uh, re- graduate research program at Rhode Island, Rhode Island Hospital, um, where after two years of research, I presented at the IBM conference with the uh, PhD that I was studying under, Dr. Lauren Fast. We presented that. Uh, while that was happening, I applied to grad school in Miami, went down to uh, Miami for a biomedical uh, research uh degree um got done with that and dude i was i was burnt out man i didn't know, really know because it's just like the the intensity of study that you need to have um unless it kind of comes naturally to you which it didn't because i didn't study in high school so i was almost playing catch up in double time so like the first time i started really getting serious about science i was already in college whereas hmm. a lot of people have uh, you know, they've, they've kind of been, you know, already in fifth and sixth grade, you know, kids are already looking at, you know, summer programs and, uh, you know, especially in college, people are doing kind of, uh, interns, internships, residencies, uh, you know, they'll do a, a program in between junior and senior year, you yeah. know, at another university learning, you know, some minorities and research program at the university of Virginia or something like that. Right. So I really... I was late to all that, so I was I was studying just to get concepts and then try and understand the advanced concepts I was learning while still trying to learn the baseline concepts. So long story short, I was really burnt out. I had a friend of mine that was like, hey, um, you know, I teach in middle school here in South Florida. Why don't you come teach for a year and, uh, you know, sort it, sort it all out and then apply to medical schools. So you thought teaching middle school would be less stressful. Yeah, I'm a very smart guy, Chris. I don't know if you got that. I was like, how can I? I need a job where I can kick my shoes off and just swing around in a hammock every day. How about 156 seventh graders? (laughs) All right. Yeah, so I I was going to teach for a year, ended up teaching for five. Uh, I actually really liked it. Um, And while I was teaching, I guess it was probably the beginning of my third year teaching uh, I just kind of wanted something to do. And this is really, this is how long ago this was. This is almost pre-internet where you use the internet for everything. It was right. there, but it was just kind of like, oh, I need to use the internet. Let me go to, you knew like somebody that had it at their house, you know, but Mid-90s? it was. Mid-90s? Yeah, uh, this is probably early 2000s, like okay. 2002, 2000. So like it was accessible, but it wasn't like people didn't, 
hey, uh, who's the defensive lineman for the Cowboys in 1992? Like, where everybody just used Google for everything in life? Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't there yet. So um, I was like, let me just do stand-up. But I really didn't know how to do it or how to even go to just look at an open mic. So I went to, uh, you know how every city has those kind of uh, free newspapers? Mm-hmm. They're always called, like, City Scene or... Alternative Weekly. Yeah, yeah. Indie, indie Weekly or something like right. that. You know, and at the end it's all, you know rub and tug ads and stuff like that uh but they had open mics and um so i looked in the newspaper i'm five thousand years old uh found an open mic and went and uh you know it was a weird thing because i went to this open mic it was kind of like a lottery system where you put your name down so i put my name down the first week and i was super nervous didn't get called the whole time it's like a two-hour open mic and i left there saying like hey you know I, I said I was going to do something, and I did it. Right. I didn't get called. Not my fault. So I let like, a couple weeks pass. I'm like, let me just go back. I was like, I won't get called again. Whatever. And so I'm sitting there, and like the third name up, the uh, owner walks over, and he goes, are you Jackson? I go, yeah. And he goes, you're next. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> you this is shitting your pants. Yeah, because, again, <laughs> this is like I'm not trying to, to, to take away any anything from anybody's learning stand-up now, but there was no like – I think if you wanted to learn how to be a stand-up, you could – read any stand-ups biography right you could read a blog on how to do stand-ups you go to open mics after you go to open mics you get booked as a as a host at a local comedy club right from there you move up to feature from there you start as a traveling feature from there then you start trying to get on tv jimmy fallon all that kind of stuff there was no path there was nothing it was just like me the concept of me saying to myself i'm going to become a stand-up comic and move to new york city would be no different than me saying, I'm going to move to Wyoming and become a cowboy. Right. There's no, I, I wouldn't know how to do either one. It wasn't a thought. Like, uh, and don't you think that sometimes people think that something in media or entertainment is way more difficult than becoming a Wyoming cowboy, when right. that's probably way more difficult than, than just putting in the hours to get to the point where, right. you know, not taking anything away from your talent. But what I have been impressed by working at the Bob and Tom show, talking to comedians is that they're all interesting people. They all have a different point of view, but a lot of that is learned. And yes. it's and it's just from years of trying to work a skill, do a craft. Like my own my own life, it's like I didn't didn't want to be, you know, I'm not a I guess I am sort of a professional podcaster based on my day job, but you are. like I just did that cuz I liked doing it. I thought it was fun and then you do it so long for so many hours for free that somebody goes, "Hey, I could really use your help with this and I'll pay you a hundred dollars and then eventually it's like i'll pay you you know a thousand a month and then it right. kind of it's it, it is it's like i think people think media or comedy or something is really hard when really it's like it is hard but you just if you do the work you'll get there and i think you can take out media or comedy yeah. and put in whatever you like to do that's how politics was. It's like if you want to be in the local establishment of your local city or whatever, just show up to a Republican or Democrat or Libertarian meetings every month for the next five years and you're in the establishment. Right. It's just the work. You just don't – you want somebody to hand it to you. Yeah, just everything is – dude, it's showing up. It, man, not, not to even get off track of the point, but – you know, I lived in New York for five years and I would always have people saying, I want to move, I want to do stand up mm-hmm. and I want to move to New York. I think that's the best way to do it. Uh, I've been looking on Craigslist for an, uh, an apartment in New York and it's really tough. I'm like, 
that's because those are all scam artists and ripoffs. Mm. If you want to move to New York, you have to do something that sucks. Mm. You have to pack up all your stuff and you got to move to New York. You have to crash on couches, right. and depending on what your uh, what your budget is. Maybe a hotel every once in a while. Maybe your fucking car <laughs> for a night or two until you find an apartment and you have to have boots on the ground to do that. Yeah. That's super uncomfortable. It's better to, to be in Arizona and be casually cro- scrolling through Craigslist ads. That's a waste of time. You have to show up. Yeah. And once you show up, get your butt to the comedy club every night. There's going to be cute girls. There's going to be bars with uh, the, the music pumping out of them. And, and it's a lot more fun than sitting in, uh, you know, an open mic with 11 people that are clinically insane <laughs> underneath a pizza shop. Yeah. But if you show up for five years and you do that and you get better, you listen to critiques, you listen to criticism, you work hard. You, like you said, you'll be part of the establishment. That establishment just happens to be comedy. Mm-hmm. If you show up for five years uh, around the Republican or Democrat or Libertarian Party, you'll be part of it. But right. that five years is not pleasant at first. Mm-hmm. That five years, there's probably something, if you're a normal person, that you'd rather be doing. Yeah. Which is being with your girlfriend, watching a game with your boys, doing whatever you want. But that's, you, you can't have it both ways. And uh, luckily for me, I was just too dumb to, to not know to quit. And here I am. <laughs> right. I'm sure your story is very similar. Yeah. I think for me, it's that I'm not afraid to be annoying. Yeah. And, and, I, and I'm... I don't have the gene ride move to New York and live in my car. I'm too uh, Tom Griswoldian for that. I, right. I need my my room straightened and my carpets cleaned. Type A. But I do know that I can be annoying sometimes, or I can I, I try not to be pushy. I try to dial it back. But at a certain point, like you have to know when an opportunity is in front of you to say, "I'd really like to come work for you, Tom." Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. that's not comfortable for me. And I think a lot of people kind of stop themselves because they don't like stand up is something that I had always thought about trying, but have never tried because I'd be sitting there in the room and they'd go, you're next. And I would just, I'd freak out. And I think that uh, what's the deeper emotion there? It's shame. It's, I might be uh, shamed. I might do poorly. People might think badly of me. It's insecurity. I think the insecurities kind of stop people from doing things that they want to do which right. we're blessed to live in a country where you can pretty much do what you want. Like, right. if you work hard enough, if you network, if you meet the right people, you can pretty much do what you want. Like, there's there's not a ton of limitations in America. I mean, it, it is, you know, there's lots of regulations, but we'll, we'll leave the libertarianism to a minimum on this episode. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so how did you... How, and you probably still struggle with that. I mean, going on television and going up on stage in front of huge crowds... I mean, how do you deal with that insecurity and that moment of doubt? Oh, man, I mean, it it sounds bad, but I mean, I think it 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 comes from doing. You know, I think it was Gladwell that that talked about the ten thousand hours, and I think mm-hmm. that's a nice round number that's that's uh, appealing to people's ears. But I think it might be around that. I don't know how you measure that out in stand up. I mean, maybe I mean you are on stage for 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 depending on how long you're on stage, but just doing something over and over again until you start to question, okay, there's some people in my field that I still look up to. They're, they're way ahead of me. They started before me or they started with me and they just are more naturally talented. But as you continue to go on, you go, you look around in the room and you go, Oh, I'm the most experienced comic in here. Or I've had more gigs than more people here. I've uh, had more hours podcasting and talking about, libertarianism and and, and 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 
uh, arguing back and forth and bantering back and forth with people with similar ideas and different ideas. After a while, you start to ask your, the question, like, who better than you? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's going to be somebody, but it's not going to be as many people as when you started, when you were just, you know, little Chris kind of sitting in the corner trying not to get kicked out. After a while, you're like, yeah, I know, I know, I know how this works. Yeah, after eight years of doing this almost... I've outlasted a lot of the people that I was super jealous of when I started this show. Mm-hmm. They've stopped doing it, or the people that I looked up to, they don't do it as much, or they're like, it is a, it is interesting to kind of, at a certain point, I wonder when that kind of happened to you, where you go, I might actually make a career out of doing the thing that I really love doing. Like, when was that moment for you? Well, I decided the summer, because... My fourth year teaching, I feel like that's at the beginning of that school year, that's where it started to kind of flip where uh, the great thing about starting my career in South Florida, everybody kind of looks at it as a detriment, but the good thing was um, there were three improv A comedy clubs there, like A as in like a top of the line, right. like ABCDEF, uh, ABCDF, yes. Um so I, it, I, I, and I be, uh, they worked me a lot. Mm-hmm. So I started to go from this guy that was doing, you know, teaching full time, always a teacher, but you know, I hit an open mic on a Monday and then maybe again on a Wednesday to now I'm the house MC at the Miami improv. So every Thursday, uh, every Wednesday I'm hosting the open mic every Thursday. There's a headliner in town at that time. The guys coming through were like, David Tell, Tommy, Tommy Davidson, Gary Owen, Bill Bellamy. Uh, you, and I'm meeting all these guys that are coming. Jim Norton. All these guys were still doing clubs at, the, at this point. Now these guys, most of these guys are theater acts. Um, you know, so I'm working Thursday. I have a show. Friday, I have two shows. This is back, back in the day when they used to do three Saturday shows. And then there was a Sunday show. So every weekend, I'm working seven shows with somebody that's pretty famous and you get confident after a while. Yeah, you know, think about that. A month—that's twenty-eight times that you've stepped on stage on at an A club, and you're doing well. And you get comfortable, and the the uh, people that you used to look up to are not calling you out. Like mm-hmm. we're friends, and hey, good to see you again. And how's your, you know? And then you're getting, you're like, oh, what, what? I'm kind of a comic. Yeah, you know, rather than just some guy like, oh my god, I've seen that guy on TV. I can't believe I'm in the same green room. It's like, yeah, he and I are working a show together colleagues yes colleagues and like once that clicks over in your mind that you're not just some kid in the corner that that that's hoping one day like you know come in hat in hand like please sir you're just like you're a person that does this now sorry we're you can skip me today thanks that was the maid I, yes. the new, I didn't want to hang the do not disturb when Al was in here. You know, it seemed a little too sexual. Yeah, uh, you know. Listen, no complaints. <laughs> uh-huh. No, that is. And I had that moment when I came on your podcast. Al and Frank tried to be serious with Frank Caliendo, who was previous on the, sh- previous on the show, um, where you guys are super complimentary. You know, Frank goes, you're really good at this. Like, I, you know, I, you have your th- points thought out, but you're kind of funny, too. And so for like a guy that I watched on Mad TV. Right. Where I'm going, I'd love to have that job one day, or to have a comedian like yourself go. That was really good. Thanks for coming on. Like, like not just like, hey, thanks for doing this, but like, we really enjoyed that conversation. That was a moment for me where I went, 
oh, that's super nice. Like, and then my peers, I was telling Frank this, I go, it, it, the, the weird thing about social proof is that when you get a little of somebody else's on you, then other people start to go, maybe they are like, right. all these people who'd never listened to my podcast who are fellow libertarian podcasters all of a sudden go, hey, I listened to the Alan Frank thing, probably never heard a minute of mine, and they go, you want to come on my show? Yeah. So having, who, who were some of the people in your career, um, because you and you and Frank both have definitely been somebody in my career that like, I really respect you guys, and that was a big moment for me in January. Right. Having that, that kind of like colleague type conversation. Who were some of the people that you looked up to, that mentored you, that gave you that boost? Oh, uh, that, uh, that that that's easy for me. Uh, and the crux of the question is, how important are those people to your development? Uh, it, 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 everything. I mean, you know, I went from being a guy that was working at the comedy club, like I was talking about, to when I was still teaching middle school. Dave Attell uh, came down to South Florida, and he took me on his South Florida run. So we hit Miami, Fort Lauderdale, West Palm, Tampa. And some, Were you part of the Unfuckables? No. <laughs> Dave Attell is one of the greatest comedians. It's one of, one the, of the best of all time. Yeah, it was me, Dave, and um, he passed away. Uh, Sean, jeez, uh, uh, I'm so bad with names. Ken? No, no, no. Sean, um, I'm going to kill myself for the next two years. I'm so bad with names. Um, he just passed away. It'll come to me in a second. But uh, the three of us uh, were on tour, and that was at the height of insomniac on comedy central. Mm. And I don't think people realize how popular that show was at mm. the time. Dave was still drinking and partying at that time. And honestly, when I went on that tour, that was the first time, like people were interacting with me in like a, a way that I was famous just cause I was next to somebody that was famous. And honestly, that was intoxicating. I <laughs> like that, you know, cause it, I had a day job and I was like, wow. So just, uh, you know, we park at a special place and we walk in the back of the club through the kitchen and, you know, and just like it's 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 almost like that scene in Goodfellas, you know, the kitchen scene where they mm-hmm. bring the table out for them. And, you know, it's just like it's a table and they set the lamp up and they put them right in front of the stage. It's that moment where you feel like you feel special. And especially as a guy, two guys from the Midwest, you never really feel that. I mean, I think if you're an attractive girl or even if you have big boobs or you're like a guy that can play basketball or right. uh, a, a rich kid where everybody knows that your dad owns the three car, car dealerships around town and you have two pools at your house, those people, whether they're men or women, they always know that they have something in their back pocket yeah. that makes people attracted to them, whether it's for the right or wrong reasons. You know, Even if you sell drugs it's a people know you oh yeah let's be nice to that guy and tell him we want to party later you know but for guys like us that i feel like we're just kind of floating around i invisible invisible yeah a hundred percent and for the first time ever to not feel like that if you weren't an athlete if you weren't uh super good looking uh male or female or you, you didn't have a ton of money that was the first time that I felt like like I was worth anything. Like like people stopped and looked at me in the face, you know. Mm-hmm. And from there, I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to keep going. And then eventually, uh, Bill Bellamy came through. Uh, one a uh, guy that um, 
some people might not know if they're listening, but for black folks, Bill Bellamy was, he had a movie called How to Be a Player, I believe, in the early 90s. And he you have a TV show. Yeah. TV I loved Bill Bellamy yeah, in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. He's a great, I mean, and just like a smooth, charismatic guy that he showed me like how to be a stand up and be a, a professional comic. Hmm. Uh, I was super broke on the road and like he would, he's just a classy guy. Like he would buy me shoes, but not make a thing of it. He yeah. wouldn't be like, hey, uh, I got you, man. Anything you want, put on that counter. Bill Bellamy got you. He would just be like, hey, get a pair of jeans and some shoes and just throw it on the, you know, just very, very discreet and just took care of me. I love him to this day like a brother. And uh, he he showed me that you could be funny on and off stage. I would come in between shows. He'd have his earbuds in, listen to the first hour that he had just done, Mm. looking for mistakes, looking at how to correct it just in the second show. Um showing me what it meant to be a professional mm. a professional never late for radio never drunk never chasing women just a a solid dude that's such a key you know? especially in an industry where and i've had this with podcasts it's like i just don't want to do this anymore if you guys are going to show up drunk yeah if it's you, not it's, cute it's no i mean if people are going to put money into you by buying a ticket or just their attention which is super valuable then put out something that is really good just because it's free for you to do or easy for you to do. don't take advantage of people i think professionalism is just an underrated quality in this day and age because people just kind of they goof off or they think that even just even on your phone your phone is so addicting mm-hmm. that that can be such a distraction from things i think that's so is that he really the one who helped you kind of go pro a hundred percent. Bill Bill's the one that, you know, he would tell me stories and kind of anecdotes about like mistakes he made in terms of, hey, you know, yeah, the, five years ago or 10 years ago, I let this promoter um, get away with not paying me half the deposit up front and the guy skipped town on me. I'll never do that again. He's yeah. like, he's giving me lessons about, you know, hey, make sure your money's right. Don't let a club owner say, hey, um, you know, we're a little short, but we'll book you back and later for all that. You know, he taught me yeah. the business side uh, of and and, and uh, talking with his his road manager and best friend uh, Emery, a gigantic man. <laughs> Emery's probably six six, three hundred thirty pounds, ripped and just a huge, but just like would always just coach me up and you know just maybe he just really took a liking to me and. uh those two guys, man, I really love them. And if you get a chance to see Bill on the road, he's still amazing. Still sells out. Still such a good-looking dude. Yeah, F you, he, Bill. Jesus. I always wanted to be Bill Bellamy. Yes. But I knew I couldn't. Yeah. Uh, you, you have he, a chance. You, yeah. you have nice shoes on. Yeah. <laughs> he's a stunningly good-looking man. There's some dudes where you're like, what's it like to look like that? I have a uh, buddy I travel with. Uh, my buddy uh, Marcus, he uh, I met him because uh, he's Hannibal's uh, f- tour photographer, and he's Amy and Pete Davidson's photographer as well. But just like I would just look at girls, look at him, I'd be like, and he's super uh, humble. But I'm like, I couldn't imagine being that good looking. That girls are just like my ex roommate in Miami was like that, just like yeah. a really good. I was like, damn. There's some guys that are so good looking. They're like girls, right? You where, know, <laughs> where they, where I don't think women understand. Like, I have to be the smart 
Yeah. I have to I have to read. Like I have to be fuckable. I have to learn how to be funny. Yes. Like I that's to, my only chance. Yes, that's my only thing on my rod and reel. That's my only worm is to get you over here with a little bit of like wit and humor and banter and hopefully, yeah, just close your eyes. But yeah, there's uh there's some guys that uh that just uh they got they got they won the looks lottery. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. God bless them. So do you you know, and then I'll, I I want to ask you about kind of your evolution, but uh do you now in a position where you're you're doing pretty well, you've got a lot of really cool gigs and you're kind of in a Bill Bellamy position like do you feel a sense of responsibility to kind of find that younger guy like the young Al Jackson and and do you do things for I mean I, you don't have to announce what you do or if you don't I, I don't know, but do you feel a responsibility to be a mentor now that you have the ability to be a mentor? Uh I do and I try and do that just by uh, being an example i mean i think i was you know you were talking about being a professional there were some years where because for me the thing about a business like this is it 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 exposes your 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 strengths and your weaknesses Mm -hmm. and my thing was like i didn't know how much i loved to drink Mm -hmm. and i also didn't know how much i loved to drink free booze (laughs) and so uh, you you talked about professionals that and i was telling somebody the other day, how different just the environment has shifted, I would say, in the last 10, 12 years in terms of professionalism. I was talking with um, with the GM of uh, uh, of the Phoenix, uh, of the Tempe uh, Improv, and the last time he had seen me in Hannibal, Hannibal's now been sober for two years, but we got super hammered in West Palm Beach. On a, We were on tour. And it was a bad show. Mm. I mean, it was. It's funny now looking back on it, but it's embarrassing. Um, and it was real bad. And it's funny now. What do yeah. they say? Tragedy plus time equals humor. <laughs> um, but you know, I don't think that show was the actual catalyst that that you know launched Hannibal into sobriety. But I think that's kind of that was yeah, the first nail. Han- Hannibal Burris. The- Hannibal Burris. Yeah. Yes, excuse me, I'm like yes. So. Um, I was talking with this with this GM, and he was like, "It's amazing to see you and Hannibal, because I guess Hannibal had been there the week before." Mm. And he was like, "You know, we we both lost a ton of weight. You know, we're we're in we're in shape, and just we're focused and professional." Whereas there was a period where it's just like stand up was just kind of this thing I did to keep my party lifestyle going, mm. and you start to realize that this isn't what I got into this for. I'm not progressing. I'm not happy. I'm not healthy physically or mentally. And you kind of make a stand to kind of fix yourself. And I think the good news is I don't see that as much. Uh, and that's what he was saying as well as he was like comics. He was like, you know, when he started stand being a GM, uh, you know, working at clubs 15 years ago, there were just guys yeah. that would come through that you knew Okay, Chris Spangles here this weekend. We need to have he's going to go through a bottle and a half of Grey Goose. Yeah. Every night, Thursday through Sunday, he's going to want some kind of drugs of some sort. Let's try and keep him off the waitresses. You know, this was right. like in a standard MO for a lot of guys. It was it was glorified in some of those yeah, the it was 80s, like, 90s era comedians. Yeah, rock star comedians. Yeah. Like, yeah, you party like a rock star, you go on stage, what's up? And 
almost a lot like the athletes that, that those guys that- I think every industry we're at a radio convention and you see some of the guys who you know they look like they're still in 1970 and they're yeah. hey it's rock and rick here yeah um but you know you have the choice to at a convention like this when you're networking with other people be inauthentic and like that showboaty type person and stay out drinking till midnight or you know like in our case like no, the kid that I was around this week is like, yeah, I went out drinking last night till midnight, and man, it sucks getting up at three. I'm like, yeah, I got seven hours of sleep. I feel okay. Like yeah. I'm, I'm ready to really. And produce. guess who's going to kick your ass on the radio tomorrow? R- right, and yep. I and I've seen that just in the five years in the comedy industry as the amount of clubs shrinks and it becomes more centralized in the improvs and the heliums, and I think every industry. And social media may part play a part in this. Is professionalism is now a, a valued piece in a lot of this, and I I think that's an important point that I hadn't really thought of because when you really look at what's going on right now, like you could go out chasing women, and that was something that you had to do before two thousand and five. Right now, if you did that let's find a way to get rid of this guy you know and that's it and that's honestly i'm okay with that i'm I'm ready for a more wholesome society in certain aspects a more respectful society uh yeah i I just i think that that really and i I think you hit it right on the head i think that's not just stand-up first of all i mean if you pulled up any monthly lineup from any year prior to it's 2019 prior to 2015 15 14 i could point i could point to any of those guys and be like here's his vice yeah here's his vices here's what he's gonna do he's not gonna be able to talk during the late show so you know the feature is gonna have to do longer like these are things that were casually discussed right yeah chris bangle's too drunk to stand up so al al you need to do an extra 30 until he can like this is not it seems insane now yeah but right. you're right those guys and girls are gone either naturally uh, be- because, you know, after a while you're just too unreliable uh, or you're gone because they're a risk to the club. If I bring uh, Mike X into my club and I know that he's a, he gets drunk and puts his arm around girls 25 years younger than him, the wait staff, and tries to get all of them to get back to his hotel room. And if I own that club, am I going to book him in 2019 no. and get my ball suit off right. by a 20-year-old college student that's not putting up with that crap as she shouldn't? Right. No. I'm going to book Chris Bangle, who's going to come in a day early, kill it on radio, get some tickets sold, yeah. do his podcast, sell more tickets, go to another podcast that's local, sell more tickets, and come in here and kick butt through the weekend. Yeah. Who's going to get hired? It's just money. The booze, the women, all that stuff is just a distraction. And it's sad that some guys never see it. You know what, man? It's a, I thought about this when, I, uh, when, when Hugh Hefner died, man. I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but there was like one of the last times he was seen on camera. He's like, I don't know, 92 or 88 or something. And he got wheeled out in his pajamas by some 26-year-old chick, Mm -hmm. you know. And 
It's okay. You can say bimbo on this podcast. Yeah, it, I mean, definitely. <laughs> uh, bimbo was there. It's like, I don't know the last time I called somebody a bimbo, but I think it's <laughs> it was not. on the tip of your tongue. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take that one for you. That's how you call somebody a harlot. Around <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, here. I, yeah, I want some old school, like, semi, where they're not insulting. They're just like, she's a, what is it? Bimbo harlot, uh, loose woman. Loose woman. A loose woman. Damn it. By a loose woman. So many and, of this, this vernacular has fallen out as people don't tell the old jokes, like the, yeah. the Gilbert Gottfried jokes. Yeah. My mom, because she was so PC her whole life, I'm saying was, like she's done around. My mom wouldn't even, she's so PC, she wouldn't even call uh, uh, like homeless people bums, which I think is really cool. She used to, uh, I remember she was a little kid and she'd be like, there's some transients over there. <laughs> How great is that? I love my mom. Uh, I want to interrupt you because I think that's uh, like what I have noticed about your evolution. And I just have to get this off. Like the, the margins, the economy has shrank. Like mm-hmm. we're, we, we all are living well, but we're all noticing that margins are shrinking. So be professional. Yeah. But I think that was a great lesson. What I've noticed about your comedy is that you have become more professional. Now, I don't yeah. I know you a lot better this year than I've yeah. known you the last 5 years that I've been at the day job, but I have noticed as I've watched you over the last year, you have seemed to have more purpose in what you're doing. That you take your platform more seriously. And I don't know that maybe I just wasn't paying attention, but that No, you're completely accurate. There is and your mom not wanting to call someone a bum, a measure of empathy for that person's humanity. Yes. Which I think is now starting to come out in a lot of what you do and what you're talking about. You you obviously do Alan Frank try to be serious and, and have good conversations about a lot of different things. But I, I... Maybe just elaborate on why you've decided to make that choice into somebody who is more socially the, conscious. That's a, that's a great question and it kind of it, it it actually goes back to the hugh hefner thing and how i decided i wanted to live my life when i not exactly when i saw him but i'd already been kind of feeling like they they describe drinking as the empty calories mm-hmm. you know um th- that that's what a lot of the extras are they're great in the moment but there's they leave you feeling empty and you know if you, you think about like what it must have been like to be like a young Hugh Hefner when you're 50 like whenever he started the magazine late 30s you've got this mansion you got 20 year olds all over you you're rich you're powerful you're being interviewed you got the world by the balls and you you say to yourself why would I get married why would I lock down and commit to a person and an ideology a family and not that you need family to do this but when i could just wear my pajamas all day and bang 25 year olds that sounds great when you're 30 watching him get wheeled out at 92 by some chick that's just waiting for him to die so she can have the house yeah was one of the saddest things i had ever seen i i want to be wheeled out by my grandkids. Yeah. And I want to die at home in front of them. I think that's cool. And I started to understand that the decisions I'm making now are going to have positive or negative consequences. And it's hard because if, if you're a person that has to make that real honest conversation with yourself, like you're 
you're doing the things that you're doing because you don't care about yourself and you don't care what happens to you. So you think it's funny that you woke up in the bushes without your shoes on. Oh, I, I had that, that with weight. Yeah. I mean, with weight, yeah. it was like, I'm going to emotionally eat. I'm going to keep people away from me so I don't have to be vulnerable. I don't have to be in relationships. I can't go anywhere because I'm just, my goal is to stay on the couch. I'm going to laugh and post online about how I'm eating Twinkies while watching Biggest Loser. It was a joke. Yeah. And then at some point you go, I'm not breathing as well as I used to. Yes, sir. And you go, I'm not going to live until I'm 60 if I keep this up. You know, I, I, yeah. I, I think yeah. when, when you become an adult, you realize, oh, it's not just paying your bills and showing up to work. Like, you know, it's exercising. It's having an active, um, I mean, for me, an active faith life is super important. I love uh, for, you know, it's that stuff is as important to me now as brushing your teeth, as taking a shower in the morning like that's just part of being an adult getting up getting because what you're doing is you're making a commitment to yourself yeah every day and that's right. the big thing to to do that if you were in jail it's like good but you have to mm-hmm. you can't i think the biggest thing is that we're here in dallas texas i'm pretty sure there's some buffets around here <laughs> right. but you're at the gym instead right because you've made a commitment to yourself does that mean you can never go to the buffet of course not but for me Getting back to what you're saying about when did I realize, uh, I just, I didn't want my kids to just be like, my dad was this guy that was cool and did fun stuff with us, but he slept on the couch a lot. Yeah. You know, and was, mom was mad at him and not there emotionally and not, you know, because when you're hungover, you're not present. You might be sitting there, but you're like, I feel like shit. Yeah. You know, and I just was like, I started asking myself like what is really gonna matter i i would you know i still tell myself well i go to bars because that's where i write my jokes and it's how these jokes pay for everything Mm -hmm. you know but i was like i was sitting in a bar one time and i was just there was a guy was in my um my i live in denver now but i was at my uh my local dive and uh in la and this guy who i had i don't know five or six conversations came came up to me and introduced himself like we had never met yeah and started telling me his life story like he had the last three times and i was like everything that this guy and i have discussed is bullshit it doesn't exist i might as well be talking to that lamp you right. might as well get out of leave this room and turn the mics off and just let me keep talking it's a waste of time now is it always a waste of time to go go to a bar? No. Enjoy yourself. Do whatever you want. But for me, I realized that I was wasting my life and wasting what I feel is a gift. I feel like I'm a pretty smart guy and I have something to offer. So I was like, do I want to bury that in vodka and marijuana or do I want to do something uh, with my life? And I started to realize that once I stopped drinking, I started exercising more. People start taking you more seriously. You start to get more confidence in yourself you start to read more you start to understand more you start to want to discuss things with people more and they're more apt to discuss things with you because you're not some drunk dickhead (laughs) at the end of the bar yelling about trump sucks or whatever it's like when you're a sober person that has thoughts and is willing to have a a discourse with somebody i think people appreciate that and you you begin to get accustomed to that and now the times that you know the browns game would be on i'll be like hey i'm gonna go watch the browns game i'm gonna go to a bar and get drunk i'm gonna do it i can enjoy it but when, as soon as they get in there i'm like 
I'm done with this. Yeah. And I go back up to my apartment and I write some more. So uh, it's been a long journey for me. Um, I never did the AA thing, but I probably should have. Uh, so but, do you drink at all anymore? Yeah, I'll have a drink. Um, I don't drink during the week just because I'm up at the gym. I'm usually at my gym. I say five o'clock, but I drag my butt there by about 545. <laughs> and then I go to my show and... After my show, uh, you know, I, I do a podcast with Frank. Um, I have Bob and Tom uh, on Thursdays. Um, I do stand-up at nights. It's just not fun for me to drink because I'm during the week, I'm not going to get drunk because it's a selfish thing. I don't want to feel like crap at the gym. Yeah. Why? Why do extra calories? I'm 42. It, <laughs> it's already not doing anything. Right. I wish I had worked out like this when I was 24. I'd be ripped. Uh, <laughs> But so, yeah, so I'm not going to drink during the week. And on the weekends, I'm usually with my kids. Mm. And um, I just made a decision. I'm not going to let my kids ever see me put a drink to my to my lips. Uh, you know, I, I want to show them how to uh, enjoy alcohol responsibly. But at least until I, I just don't know why I need to be drinking in front of them. I don't need to be drunk to enjoy them. So uh, my opportunities to drink are few and far between. The time that might happen is like maybe like tomorrow when I'm on a flight, a late night flight, and I'm just going to get get home at 11 o'clock and take an Uber and right. whatever. Maybe a situation like that. Which Responsible is situation. Yeah, right. where I'm just like, I don't care. You know, but for the most part, I just don't, I, I don't have time. And I think I'm one of those people that needs to almost, you know, those things that shoot uh, tennis balls at you to practice. Yeah. I... I basically take tennis balls and write responsibilities on them and then shoot them at my face. Right. And just make sure I am so busy. That whole, that whole, that's how old I am is that now like old adages, like free time is the devil's play thing. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, that I see. That's a saying for a reason. Yeah. I need to be busy. Cause I'm yeah. going to do something. If I'm, if I'm not busy, I'm going yeah, to go down and have a couple pops with the boys or yeah, I'm going to go get a bottle of Johnny Walker and sit here and watch, you know, Chernobyl again. Like, why? Right. You know, so I just, I have a couple podcasts going. I have a radio show. I have a TV show. I have stand-up. I have my kids. Yeah. I'm working on a script. And I'm just finishing up a kid's book. Uh, it's already it's already at the printer and everything. I'm getting cool. the barcodes put on it and everything. Uh, so it's like, but I, for as much as that seems like a really cool thing, it's really just, that's my prison that I've constructed for myself to keep myself on the path. I, I'm the same way. Yeah. I've got three podcast commitments. I've got yeah. the Pat Down. I've got this show. I've got uh, Leaders and Legends. I've got my day job. Yeah. I've got a personal life. Like The less room I leave myself... The yeah. more responsible I become, the more logistical I become. Like there, there is a little bit of joy being taken out of your a little spontaneity. Spontaneity disappears, uh, and you become less fun in certain ways. But you become a better person in, in yeah. many different ways because you have so many more relationships with people. Yeah, I, I, I'm totally with you. Well, like, your I look life at, has value and has meaning now, and people yeah. are depending on you. And I think that's where a lot of your animosity. We spoke to spoke earlier about like, hey, if you're going to show up drunk to something I'm doing, you clearly don't respect my time. And looking back on it, I'm sure people must have been like, yeah. dude, you're not cute or charming. You showed up 40 minutes late and you're drunk. What the f? I look at Tom, you know? Tom, my boss, who has been a mentor in a huge ways. Maybe uh, not totally directly because he's very busy, uh, but it, it is. Le- I mean, I've been so inspired by watching, getting to sit at the foot of somebody who's in the Radio Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. and somebody I've idolized since I was 
cognizant. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, he... Me too as well, by the way. Yeah, I mean, he just... He gets up at two in the morning. He out-prepares everybody. He, you know, may take, like, a short nap after the show so he can survive. He has young kids, and then he's got business commitments and show commitments and kid commitments, and he goes to bed at eight o'clock exhausted, and he squeezes every moment of his day and life out and he doesn't distract himself with a lot of nonsense uh you know and he's just super successful and you know i look at miss pat she's the same way she's up at 5 a.m and it's like a the freight train starts and it doesn't end until she crashes at night and you know she's having great success and you just look at these people i I look at these people in my life and i just go okay i don't know necessarily what what my end goal is but i know that if i want to have a really nice end goal like tom i better i better be like that guy and so i just stopped wasting a bunch of time and I just, you know, it's really incredible. Where to watch would Tom it. be if he wants a happy hour every night? He, he would be one of these guys down sitting in this room who are important in their tiny little community, mm-hmm. but has not blessed his city, his listenership with millions of dollars of charity. There isn't a radio show that could show up here and do what we do at this thing. Right. We bring 13 people at a tremendous cost. Right. And and it with tremendous energy, tremendous talent. I was just thinking today how privileged I am to get to be around. Like I sat next to Ron Sexton as he talked about JFK and Elvis uh, for two hours, like an encyclopedia with this insane intelligence. And then getting to talk to Frank and spend the day with him yesterday, and you today, and like and Dean, and like just all these somewhat off kilter yet brilliant people, living legends, yeah, that have been attracted because Tom demands a certain level. Right. of himself first and others next you know i mean it just it it really rolls downhill and it really is fascinating to watch someone who is uh just you know in the radio hall of fame for a reason i mean it, preparation yeah. is is so key like it just he prepares like nobody else yeah it's truly amazing to and, watch. and then once you prepare it's it's so much easier yeah to, uh i had uh one of my boys uh dave hadley he he won uh, two episodes of Chopped. He's a chef in Denver. Hmm. And he was like, preparation is everything. Everybody yeah. just wants to, you know, I'm, Chris, are you hungry? Me too. Okay, let's just eat. You turn the, the eye of the stove on and you throw some meat on What? Slow down. Right. Let's chop some onions. Yeah, but we're not cooking. Chop some carrots. You start cooking. You put things on different eyes, everything you don't understand, what's going on. Things are cooking at different temperatures. It seems like this is taking forever. Other people seem to be eating. I could have stopped at McDonald's and gotten some food. Why did I, why? All right. And then 15 minutes later, after you've prepped, you put everything in the same bowl, and you have a fucking delicious, healthy meal mm-hmm. that you cooked yourself that cost a fraction of what it would it if you had you gone next door. Yes, and it's the same way. It's all about preparation and preparation isn't as fun as opening up the door cutting a steak out of a package and throwing it into a hot thing yeah yeah, you could be eating but what are you eating Mm -hmm. some unseasoned steak with no sides Mm -hmm, right when you prepare something that you have that's a gift which is the steak can be enhanced tom took his gift but he 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 took that gift and enhanced it because he never fucked off he never got a DUI and was in, on the local news calling uh, some cop a name. 
Right. You know, that means something because Tom's had more opportunity to do that than most people. Yeah. And he took that responsibility and he knocked it out of the park. And, you know, just like for you, he's been a mentor for me just in life. Super humble. Same with Frank. Super. Frank is as successful as you can be in stand up, really. Isn't it amazing how like Gabriel Iglesias, Foxworthy, Larry the Cable Guy, these are like Frank. They're the nicest most humblest, generous people. And it's in some ways you look at the Trumps of the world and you go, okay, you got to be a shithead to be successful because you got to throw a fit. But then you look at like Frank and you go, fuck, this is a great guy. Yeah. What a nice guy. Right. Yeah. Don't, don't tell him I said that, but yeah, what a nice yeah, guy. Exactly. Don't tell. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, and Frank and I are celebrating our, our one year anniversary, uh, with our podcast this, this, this week, yesterday. And, talking about how things are serendipitous and how everything kind of happens for a reason. Frank, again, not doesn't drink at all. Um, when we say we're going to do a podcast at 1030, we're up and going at 1029. Mm-hmm. If this, if I had met Frank three years ago, four years ago, for sure, I would have been drunk half the time or late or forgot. Didn't put it in my phone. I'd be out at the mall and Frank would send me a text. Hey, you ready to go? Oh man. And then the podcast would have just gone away. Yeah. Like he would, Frank wouldn't even say it's over and never call me. It would just, he would just wouldn't call anymore. Yeah. He and would, I would have lost that opportunity yeah. and lost that opportunity for growth. You know, when I talk to him, he says things that I hadn't thought of, um, you know, and, and vice versa. And, you know, you would then have to ask yourself, is this Chili's happy hour worth it? it? Are you, is it worth it to be hitting on some chick at the end of a bar at a hotel only to strike out, spent 63 bucks, you didn't talk to your kids, you haven't furthered your career, you didn't write a joke. Well, is this worth it? Disappearing into the video game. Yeah. Instead of helping your kids with their homework or watching, you know. Wasting your time. You yep. have to decide what you're going to do. A little bit of video games, vodka, booze, weed, whatever, chick chasing, whatever you want to do. But the more time it takes up, you do have to at least, the one gift you have to give yourself is to not bullshit yourself. Mm-hmm. And just know that while I laid around with a hangover all Saturday, Miss Pat, Tom, Frank Caliendo, they were up. They've already been to the gym. They've already talked to their agent. They've already uh, been ice skating with their daughter. They've already done shit. Mm-hmm. So you continue to watch college football in your hotel room with a stomach ache for what? And if it's worth it to you, God bless you. Somebody's always going to be in that bar. I don't hate on that. I was that dude for a decade. Yeah, I understand the draw to that. It's a community. You feel like people love you. But when that guy walked up and started that conversation again, I realized that they don't. No one remembers you. You could go to the same bar for 10 years and just stop showing up. You think anybody's going to knock on your door? Hey, we're worried about you down at O'Malley's. <laughs> There'll be another dickhead sitting in your seat. Yeah. Hoping talking the not. same shit to the bartender that you were. So you have to you have to decide what what you want your place to be in life. Yeah, it's all good. Not everybody can be Doug Stanhope. <laughs> it's true. Um, or should be. Uh, I like Stanhope. Um, yeah. 
so as you kind of look to a new phase and you're in the, in the beginning of it, like what are some of the things that you want to say? Like what are some of the things that you want to impress upon? For example, a lot of what I want to do with this show is not about it's not about politics. Mm-hmm. It's it's about how we relate to each other, right? And especially how men relate to the world, because I think there's a lot of unhealthy behaviors. This has been catnip for me. I think this has been a great episode and, uh, and one that a lot of guys need to hear. I mean, By the that, way, is that the name of this podcast? Catnip. Yes. Catnip for men. Chris Spangles. Catnip. Chris, <laughs> just nip. No <laughs> there cat. we go. That's another website. Chris Spangles we nips. Uh, <laughs> they are, are, are always hard. It's extraordinarily cold in here, but. Um, I have certain things that I just, over the course of doing this and researching and like thinking about what I want to put out in the world, I know what I kind of want to say. Like you, you, you've been in media for a long time or stand up or talking into a microphone and maybe didn't always take it seriously. Yeah. But now that you're thinking about your responsibility with a microphone in front of your face, are there things that you want to impress upon the world, like you want to be remembered for? Or is it too early to kind of have an idea of of what your thing may be or, or things that you want to say? I think I've always done it with my stand-up, whether it was consciously or unconscious. I always wanted to expose hypocrisy mm. on all ends, whether it's me being on my daytime talk show where there is humor, but it's also me just talking about the news. And, what, and, and hypocrisy doesn't always show itself in like this black and white look let me turn the mirror to you and show you how dumb you are and how smart i am i i think that we all are subject to it we all uh live by it at some point because somebody you know you you can just be hypocritical by saying if i asked anybody uh hey do you support the troops I'm like, yeah, don't ever ask me that again. My son's in the Marines. So I'll punch you in the face. Of course I'd support the troops. And I'll be like, uh, did you, uh, in your local election, did you did you vote for uh, that that bill uh, that would have uh, increased your taxes by uh, uh, a percent and a half, but would have done something about the homeless? Like, look, the homeless are lazy and they need to, you know, they need to right. get get a job like I did, pull themselves up. And it's like, did you know that almost half the homeless population are ex-military vets? Right. Oh, it's not that they dislike the military. It's not that they hate the homeless. It's that we don't understand that everything is not, nothing is black and white. I'm not just all black. You're not just all, go to your ancestry.com. Nothing is this pure thing where you're like that's right and that's wrong and she's stupid and he's dumb and i'm right and it's it's if only it was that easy right you know whether it's sports and you go well our offense isn't working because our quarterback sucks maybe our quarterback sucks is because our center can't block right there's always things that affect everything else and whether it's me uh you know i went on that that rant that went viral about the homeless about uh the the kneeling uh, because it was hypocritical, but I also will uh, discuss things like in my act. I had a joke; it never worked, but uh, I always said uh, my theory that it's impossible to be offended. I feel like that's a concept that does not exist, and I, I, I completely agree with yeah, you. It, yeah. and, and what my example I used to cite is, I was like, okay, because I'm like, who thinks that it's possible to be offended? And a lot of y'all would be like, yeah, you can offend me. And I'm like, okay, let's let's uh, let's say the scenario. Let's say that. 
uh, your phone rings and it's me on the other end and I'm a radio DJ. And I'm like, congratulations, Chris Bangle. You just won. Hot 97's $100,000 podcast radio DJ challenge. Now come down and pick it up, you fat, white, stupid motherfucker. You got a half an hour. Are you going to go down and get that 100000 I just insulted you. I insulted your mama. insulted <laughs> yeah. your family. Right. You should be offended. You should hang the phone up. Are you go- you're going to be like, no. Those are just words. I don't care what you said to me. I'm going to go get that suitcase. <laughs> right. Where's that bag at? Words. That's why I think Chappelle's thing, Sticks and Stones, he's trying to show us that words are, we're, we're basing our life off of these things. I think a lot of times it's the ideological similarities that we have that are being hidden from us because a lot of people profit from us constantly going back and forth. And I guarantee yeah. you, you have more in common with uh, with a black woman from Detroit than you would know. Oh, for sure. Thomas Sowell wrote a book called Black Rednecks and White Liberals. And he basically talks in the book about the poor economic conditions of white Southerners and mm. Appalachia. And he said, you know, most black people have the same culture as white Southerners. And they're, they're really a lot of these lines like Miss Pat can go to Marion, Indiana to the Elks Lodge to a white crowd, a Bob and Tom audience and is beloved. Right. But it's harder for her to go to the, these LA parties. I'm sure where she's just like, I've got nothing in common with these wasps, right. you know? And I think uh, most of America really has a lot of the same culture, same thoughts, same feelings, same, goals and dreams and hopes and they just like want what's best for their family and want to be left alone and we buy into it you know it's i was just reading the ukrainian thing the the leaked whatever the witness statement was to the og and you read it and you go man i thought this was going to be really bad for trump and it is because donald trump clearly is trying to get the ukraine to do something with their justice system uh, against joe biden but Joe Biden looks just as bad where Joe Biden tried to use the vice presidency to get the Ukrainians to do something with their justice. Like, it, it, and Trump can withstand it because everybody knows he's a corrupt piece of shit and he makes no apologies for it. Yeah, I'm corrupt. But Joe Biden says, I'm not corrupt in any way. The mm-hmm. Obama administration was scandal free. So when he does the exact same thing that Donald Trump does, the hypocrisy right. is what the American people will not be able to tolerate. Right. It's like if that's a great point. It, it's it's and I think it's from Plunkett of Tammany Hall. The the Tammany Hall was the this big New York machine, Democratic machine, and this guy wrote this book a hundred years ago. It's the greatest instruction on politics you'll ever read, and he talks about the like hypocrisy is the one thing Americans can't tolerate, and. Joe Biden will not be the nominee because of this, and Donald Trump will survive whatever impeachment they bring about because he's at least honest about who he is. Right. You know, and that's, the, that's so true. I mean, you think about like the fallout from the Tiger Woods thing. Mm-hmm. It was so bad. Yeah. Not that we can't believe a professional athlete cheated on his wife. It was that this is a guy that marketed himself as a family man that sold Buicks. I have right. my beautiful Nordic wife, and I'm perfect. Shut up. And then it turns out. You're getting high on opioids and, and trying to bang waitresses from, from Hooters. Whereas somebody like Dennis Rodman or somebody like Charlie Sheen uh, can just go, hey, hey, I'm winning, bro. I'm high. I, got, I live with two porn stars. And how do you like that? And he got another TV show 
anger management and with a hundred episode order. <laughs> Snoop Dogg is a beloved national treasure. Yeah, it's just like, hey, I'm going to show up high. I'm going to be cool. But it's like Snoop Dogg has never wavered. Right. Charles Barkley is not hypocritical. He's like, I'm going to keep it real. You might not like what I have to say about Trump. You might love what I have to say about Auburn basketball. You, but you, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be Charles all the time. And it's when you get in trouble with the American public is when you go, I am Al Jackson. I'm better than you because I don't make mistakes like you. You I'm going to talk pull like this. <laughs> yes. That's why Bill Cosby got in trouble. Bill Cosby got in trouble and got outed because he was telling uh, black entertainers to watch their mouth and stop sagging their jeans and speak with a certain thing. And, you know, certain comics uh, and certain people were just like, hey, can we look into this guy's past? Because I've heard some things. A reporter from Philadelphia looks in it and all he did is go to Google and there's 58 accusations right there because he wasn't America's dad. Right. He was a serial rapist. And that's the difference. I, now, I don't think anybody could su- survive that scandal, but you can. This country will give you second and third chances if you don't bullshit them. Yeah. So, final question before we start wrapping up. How how significant do you think Sticks and Stones and Chappelle's special was? I Well, I think it was significant in that whether they knew it or not, the elites, uh, the people that are very into, and and the the reason I'm being so careful in my speech is I never want to condemn anybody who uh, is looking for social equality, is looking f- uh, for people to um, do the right thing and, and address people how they like to be addressed. Absolutely. Uh, I think the problem that not those people, but the people that are further left left of them, the, the kind of gotcha culture people, the people that are like Sean King. Yes, you can't uh, right. talk it's, about this. It's an industry for, yes. for some people. When yeah. you start getting into the you can't talk about this, not I prefer to be referred to as they. That's fine. It'll take me a couple of times, but I got you, bro. Right. Um, when you start talking about what somebody can and can't say, people don't like that, man. And went through ratings and Rotten Tomatoes. I believe it, when the special first came out, and it was only looked at by the critics, and it got a zero. And then by the audience, it got a 98. Well, it's like, well, we're done with you, critics. Yeah. You are who we thought you were. Yeah. You're not the people. You are people that think that you that we're too stupid to think for ourselves. So you'll just give this a zero, and you think we'll just turn and walk away because we don't know any better. Right. And Again, why does everybody love Dave? Because he speaks the truth. You say what you want. He's not saying things to get a rise out of you. He's probably trying to make you laugh, but he's definitely trying to make you think. And I think that's the difference between the way Dave approached his stand up. And I'm not even going to, I'm not putting it in the same thing as the Shane Gillis. But the thing Shane was saying on that podcast, because I listened to it, I'm always. This the SNL guy. The that SNL got, guy. Okay. Yes. Thank you for. Um, I believe Shane and I met. He was cool with me. Um, I think what the difference is, and it's it's a wake-up call for anybody that's in broadcast. It was a wake-up call for myself, for anybody that talks into a microphone, that you better be willing to die on the hill 
of whatever you're saying. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like, I think it would have been different if Shane had said, you know, I'm sorry. I don't think Chinatown should exist. I don't think we should be segregated like that. I think this, and this is why I said that I was using that accent to show, uh, you know, to, to show the, uh, how silly it is to make fun of people for talking a little bit differently. If he had a framework for what he was saying, a higher social value. Yes. Or just a framework, but yes, higher social value would have been ideal. Yes. Not just, I was just kidding. Yeah. That's every punk asshole. And uh, I was just kidding. Get over it. And that's what people always, and the thing is he lost out for something he didn't believe in. Right. If he was like, let, let's take him out of it. If it was me, like, let's say I was like, uh, you know what? Uh, I, I hate this Trump administration. Uh, I, I, I will not align myself with it. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I, 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 I couldn't tell you how, distasteful i feel like they've handled this entire administration i I just want to distance myself and as i'm saying that i get a text from my manager saying hey fox news just offered you a 200 200 million dollar hosting gig right after hannity and then these those comments air i would be willing to lose out on that money because that was something i meant yeah it would kill me if i lost out on that same contract because comments aired where there was a Buddha painting in our room. And I was like, look at the fat Indian dude. Like, you know, like <laughs> right. just something I didn't care about. It, it, and, and we all are learning yeah. now that whatever you say in this podcast is yeah. going to exist forever. And you better believe and mean what you say. And I think, and I know you do. I listen to your podcast. And whatever happens subsequent to your words you're willing to live with that. Yeah. And that's the sad thing. When somebody goes down for something that you know they don't give a shit about. Yeah. They're just saying words. Uh F double G word, the you know, the C word for Asian people. You're just saying things. You're not saying even if he got caught on a hot mic saying that insert racial epithet here just hit my mom's car and drove off. Even if he said that in a moment of anger, he's using that word to show that he was angry. Yeah. Doesn't make it right. But at least in that moment, he could be like, yeah, he almost killed my mom. And I don't care what I said, but just to right. say words, I'm not willing to lose my gig, Chris. Yeah. Over just trying to say kind of provocative things. that I know I'm not supposed to say it. I don't, I, I don't get that. And I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want that to be, my demise. Yeah, I think that I have not always been careful, and I have been careless with my words. I mean, but I've also been learning in public, and I yeah. leave everything up. I mean, there's, you know, I, it's, I think you have to, vulnerability is just becoming a much higher value in the society and, and in media, and that's kind of what you're talking, be vulnerable, be open, be real, just be who you are. People will accept you for you, and somebody's going to hate you for being yourself, but who gives a fuck about those people? Right. As long as you're yourself. Like, Miss Pat has lived a life that, like, most people, I'm just, 
I, I live this way, and then I found Jesus, and I'm ashamed that I did those things. No, Miss Pat's like, yeah, I just shot my boyfriend in the head, and that, yeah. You know, but because she's open and vulnerable and ma- makes a joke out of it, and she's ha- like, she's found peace with herself. Like people respect that, and they're okay with that as long as you own it. Uh, and I, I, I think it sucks. You know, you talked on the on a recent Alan Frank podcast about this kid who. You know, Venmo me some beer money and then raised right. a million. Carson th- King, a million, yeah. $1.14 million for the, the kids' hospital there in Iowa, I believe. And then several years ago, said some racist things on Twitter, and you just go, okay, this guy just, he didn't have to keep, he could have just kept the four, initial $40,000 he got, walked away clean. Nobody would have been mad. Probably wouldn't have been I didn't even think anything. about that. He could have just said, <laughs> but instead he said, I'm going to turn this into something really good to help my community and a lot of good people. Nobody's focusing on that. They're focusing on on the, uh, the, the argument over, should this reporter have found these tweets and reported on that? Which I'm in the camp of, no, that's not really news. And then, is it right for the reporter to have his tweets dug up? And you just go, we're losing the fact that this person probably evolved let's just listen to who this person is because he clearly went from a point where he said something racist to a person that turned like turned a million dollars of charity into a a children's hospital like what's that person's growth and it's there's not enough time to explain that there's not enough time on twitter on tv on radio there's not enough time to that's why i think podcasts and rogan in particular because you get space. Mm-hmm. You get to sit down and you get to hear who Elon Musk truly is. You get to watch Alex Jones for four hours. That guy's crazy. And he's saying insane things. But at least I know. Like, I can right. I can appreciate Alex Jones for who he is, even if I disagree with almost nothing. I mean, I agree with almost nothing. A friggin' <laughs> slip out. <Yeah. laughs> um, even though we all know it's true. <laughs> right. Yeah. The lizard people do take it. We're intergalactic. But I, I, so I just think we're in a space where people are craving authenticity. They're craving depth. They're craving knowledge. Books are on the rise in terms of sales. Podcasts that are longer than 20 minutes are on the rise. Like, I just think people are, are expecting something a little bit deeper from people who have a microphone. And I certainly have said, I don't know what they are. Yeah. I don't know what I've said in text. I don't know what I've been on social media from the very beginning. Yeah. And my goal was to get attention and audience. That's what I said. That's what I said on the it, pod. It's like yeah. you get attention. You don't get attention by saying, have a great day, everybody. Right. I wish it did. Life be easier. You got to say something. And I feel like we saw this a lot pre podcast with, remember, like how many radio shock jocks they just started axing because, you know, they, they, they get ratings by, yeah. we're going to do this provocative thing. We're going to have our intern, Chris Bangle, run naked through the mall. Yeah. And that gets a ton of ratings. They're like, okay, your program director says, dude, yeah. yes, we saw a jump. Keep it going. You got like, keep it going from a naked Stern, guy? Stern in the movie. The, the focus group, the people who love him, listen longer because they want to hear what he says next. The people who hate him. Listen longer than they do because they want to hear what he'll say next. Like yeah. that, and Stern has been on a mea culpa tour, you know, trying to rehab his image because he is a progenitor of reality TV, where it's just I'm just going to be whatever mess I can in public to get attention. This unhealthy worldview of look at me, look at me, look at me, and I struggle with this with going into this business and doing this as a career because 
it doesn't really get good ratings to sit here and have a, a productive, healthy uh, you know, conversation like this that our listeners will grow from. What really gets people's attention is throwing red meat to the base and talking about ending the Fed and fighting with another libertarian podcaster and calling the national chairman a, a cuck. Like, that stuff is what uh, that audience really wants. And my reputation is quietly good, but there's nobody out there promoting me in the way that they are other libertarian podcasters who do that stuff. Right. You know, and those, the flash don't last. Right. What I've noticed is those guys disappear. And as a broadcaster, I think every one of us have a choice, a comedian, a, you know, a daytime talk show host, a radio show host, a podcaster, a, anyone with a Twitter Anyone with a publish button in front of them has the responsibility to ask themselves, do I really believe this? And does this really benefit the people that are going to read it in a healthy way? Or am I using this to get attention like I would alcohol or in other unhealthy ways? And so I'm I'm struggling with it because you go, can you really build a career that benefits society and makes people grow in a good way without, you know without being Marianne Williamson or Oprah. Right, <laughs> you right. You know, like, yeah. which, uh, you know, I'm not interested in being Oprah. Right. Like her money, but... Yeah. Uh, it, it's it, that. Well, that's the question. That's what we all have to deal with is like, what, again, what hill are you willing to die on? Are you willing to make less money, have less subscribers, be, be able to sleep at night? Or do you want to say provocative things? Do you want to say that there are lizard people and that Hillary Clinton is running a pedophile ring and you know, this guy is doing this and this girl, like you'll probably get more followers. Tommy you, Lauren's a charlatan. Yeah. And Tommy Lauren is making tons of money just throwing red meat at a base. Candace Owens, you know, it's just like, because the only, the only way you beat like a Tommy Lauren is by being somebody of the, the race that's usually put upon that's echoing the same statement. So, uh, what's that guy's name? Paris Denard. I believe that he's not, he's not a pundit on a black guy with a bald head. Um, he was on, um, Fox for a while. And then I think there were some child, child allegations. Ooh. So he kind of disappeared, but now you have Candace Owens. It's just kind of, uh, she's testified before Congress that white supremacy isn't an issue. Um, well, with African Americans. Yeah. You get this yeah. with on, you know, the Republican that denounces Trump. You, right. it's, it's the if you're in the in group, but you're criticizing the in group that you're in, the other yeah. side will exploit you for for gain, and that's just it's always going to be there. I mean, it's it's uh, they'll, they'll always need somebody. So yeah. it's like if you can say that stuff and convince yourself either that is true or realize that it's nonsense, but realize that this is all three wing circus and you're just a ringmaster that's going to get their money. You're going to make five million dollars in three years and walk away clean. That's fine too. It's all in what you what what you're willing to live with, and uh, you and I are making that decision day to day, podcast to podcast, TV show to TV show, radio show to radio show. That's the decision we make, and I hope everybody that's listening realizes that whether you have a broadcast platform, you're making decisions with what you put your ear to, with what you parrot to your friends, to your kids. Yeah, make sure you know what you're talking about before you tell somebody that everybody that's a Republican is racist or everybody that's a Democrat to, you know, uh, wants this country to be Cuba. Like when you start calling people racist, misogynist, things like that, are there those people? A hundred percent. There's plenty of them. 
but there's a lot of people that just might disagree with you. Yeah. And so the things that you're saying, I just hope that everybody realizes that your words have weight. And when you point your finger and fix your mouth to call them whatever you're going to call them, you better be sure that, again, that's the hill you're willing to die on. Because if if I need to, if I come out on TV and I go, you know what? Sat down with Chris Banger for an hour and a half. That guy is the most anti-American. Like, when you start saying stuff like that, you're talking about somebody's character. You're talking about their family name. You're talking about who right. they are inside. And we just toss these these things around now. Like, yeah, yeah he's clearly a Democratic pedophile. Pedophile? Do you or know? racist. Yeah. Do you know? Uh, this guy's a Nazi? Am I not saying that those people do not exist and are not do not have platforms? They certainly do. Yeah. But save that for who it's meant for. Right. Because when you call... When you call Ben Shapiro a Nazi... Right. Or a white supremacist, you, when he was the number one target in 2016 for the alt-right... Right. Because it, he's an Orthodox Jew, you go... All right, something's askew here. You're, yes. you're not the you're not serious. It's just harder to say. I disagree with Ben Shapiro seventy five percent of the time. Yeah, but that doesn't have as much weight as like a Nazi. It's just like it just lets me know that you don't know your history, and so anything you don't like is Nazism, right? And that just lets me know that you don't understand what happened to Jewish people. That you don't understand what's happened to the native americans to asians obviously to black people and continues to happen to black people or just anybody you 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 don't understand what our mothers and grandmothers went through like when they go well i'm just not going to any company parties because apparently men are evil the reason we have hr is because 50 years ago when your beloved grandmother would go to work her shithead boss would grab her fucking tits every Monday. Right. That's why we have these things in place. Because even though she was a dedicated married woman, there was her boss lifting up her dress. Yeah. Telling her her to blow him or she's going to lose this gig. That's why we're talking about this. So let's put some context behind what we're saying before we just say, I guess women are just going to take over the world. We had to have things in. Why do we need Chinatown, Shane? Because people were killing Asian people if they tried to live anywhere else. Yeah. Do you want to go down this road? I'm, I'm tired of these blanket statements just made by people with no context as to why they exist. Does the Me Too thing go a little for, far too much? Yes. Yes. And as a man, I'm scared to death. Right. I see what happened to Aziz. Uh, Chris Hardwick just looked like he had a, he looked like he was a jerk in a relationship. Garrison Keillor, radio icon, built in, helped build the NPR, literally walked into a crying woman's dressing room and touched the small of her back to comfort her. And she had an open dress and she turned him into HR. They erased him from the planet. Right. You know, fired him, I mean, and the year that he was retiring. I mean, it was truly unbelievable what happened to that. Like, it it has gone too far, and, you know, I've had my share of, you know, I've had people like Melissa, what's-her-face, going and saying he sexually harassed me because someone made a meme and sent it to her, and she just claims, I made that meme. Well, people don't understand that context. You know, that's a false allegation. But my character speaks for itself. People know that, like... 
yeah. this dude doesn't have sex outside of marriage, he's probably not sexually harassing a 55-year-old former dominatrix who yeah. talks about pedo rings every day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you just uh, you have to calm down a little bit with, right. with some of it and just go, Me Too has been a benefit to a lot of women, to men. I've learned a ton of stuff over the last five years from my female friends as we talk about things like yeah. talking to friends who go, you know, I hate, I don't, I hold my pee at work. I go, what? I go, I don't want to get up and walk to the bathroom because every guy in the office makes comments about my ass because I'm the youngest female there and she's in shape and I feel horrible. Like, I feel like I'm, people are preying on me. Right. I've never felt that in my life. Like, I've never felt like I'm prey. Yeah. You know, and as a man, I go, I'm going to stop looking at women's ass at the gym or do my best. Yeah. Al, you know what I mean? But, I mean, you try your best to just be decent because once you get that new information of, hey, when you leer, that's how it makes them feel. And you may not understand that feeling, but it doesn't invalidate their feeling. Yeah. Just try to be more empathetic. That's all you, know you I mean? have to do is just understand. Hey, I wish girls looked at me to stop yeah. with that. I really appreciate you saying that. It's a it's a big deal that we just kind of understand that there's an a, another side to everything. It's just like uh, the you know, for as much as the the you have the NPR guy and the Aziz, a lot of times it's just like I've talked to girls that have been like, I was out with my mentor, the guy that brought me into the business. I'd known him six years. You know, I wanted to be a reporter or I wanted to be a physician. And this guy that I considered a father walked up, shut his door and pulled, turned around and his penis was out. Right. Like imagine how invalidating that would be. That's like you, you brought me into this podcast just so you could try and fuck me. Right. Like, I must not be worth anything except a hole to you. Yeah. And imagine the 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 dread that you would feel thinking that you invested in this person saying, see, this person, Chris, this person, Al, he respects me. He thinks I can be something. I have so many. I have. And I know we got to go. We'll talk forever, but I have to go to the. Yeah, in a, the yeah. I'm literally going to ride in a convertible. Oh, that's cool. Oh, yeah, you're doing in the Daily Kennedy Plaza. Thing. Yeah. yeah, I will say this. I have uh, female comic friends that I that I didn't even realize. This is pre me too, and I remember uh, they called me. Excuse me. They said that they were going to. They never did it, but they were going to make a coffee table book hmm. of all the dick pics that headliners had sent them. Wow. Like, and not saying this on a podcast, just like, hey, this is an idea we have, because that's how pedestrian it was. Right. To work with somebody that you considered a colleague, a professional, a contemporary, and you drop them off at the Holiday Inn, and before you pull out of the circular driveway, it's a picture of their limp penis on your phone. Uh. Just imagine how you would feel. Right. They must not think anything in your stand-up, anything about where your career can right. go. Just like, hey, if you want some more of this, room 13, 18. It's like, it's just, so I understand where everything comes from, but just try and put some context as to where the other person is coming from if they seem to be a valid source. Shameless self-promotion time, Al. Where can people oh. find you? How can they get in touch with you? You can't miss me. Just go to Al Jackson Live. You can find me and Frank on alanfrank.com. You can find me on Twitter at Al Jackson or on Instagram at Al Jackson IG. All right. Thanks so much. This has been a blast. I've Dude, really enjoyed talking to let's you. Let's do it again soon, brother. Have fun in the uh, drop top. <laughs> All right. Thanks, man.